from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday. It's great to be back on the, on the air and with you guys. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, a bunch of things going on today. Uh, it's somewhat of a slow news time, but the, um, you know, the, the same old stories are developing. Uh, big stories, I think, today. Um, Doug Burgum uh, has dropped out of the presidential race months, <laughs> the way Bongino has it here, is <laughs> months after everybody forgot he was running. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so we've got Doug Burgum. He's out. Uh, Congress has frozen Biden's $6 billion for Iran in a vote today of 307 to 119. Thank God. Uh, why on earth we're giving Iran $6 billion for what? So they can make nukes, so they can develop yellow cakes, so they could pay Hamas more money to do what they do, or uh, Boko Haram, or every other terrorist group that they fund. Absolute insanity. Uh, I, 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 I just, I don't understand how they get away with any of it, honestly, and how Biden's complicit and people are like, no, well, you know, it's a difference of, no, it's not a difference of opinion. This guy's, uh, he's, he's a fraud. Anyway, we've got some uh, other stories here. This one, uh, the big story on Friday was that George Santos was um, the sixth member of Congress to be expelled. And now there's Democrats that, you know, smell the blood in the water and not anything to do with Santos. No, no, no. You've got Senator John Fetterman. He's been um, going after Bob Menendez. And I don't know if we had any audio of that from Friday, but. He basically said, whatever Santos did wasn't as bad as what Bob Menendez has done. And we haven't since uh, we haven't uh, expelled him. He's going for the jugular on Menendez. Um, why? I have no idea. I'm guessing they told him to do that and uh, they, they want to make it an easy seat. But listen to what Fetterman had to say about Menendez. Check this uh, out. You've also been calling for to get rid of uh, Menendez, I know. Um, but first, before we talk about that, what's your reaction to the exp expulsion? Well, it's like uh, I'm not surprised, but but to me, I think the, the more important picture is is that we have a colleague in the Senate that actually did much more sinister and, and serious kinds of things. Uh, Senator Menendez, uh, he needs to go. Um, and if you are going to expel Santos, how can you allow to somebody like Menendez to remain in the Senate? And you know, Santos's kind of lies were almost you know funny, and like you know he. On the moon and that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas, whereas you know, I, you know, I think you know Menendez. I think is really a senator for Egypt. You know, not New Jersey. Uh, so I, I, I really think he needs to go. And uh, especially, it's kind of strange that if Santos uh, is not allowed to remain in the House, you know, someone like that. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's uh, Senator John Fetterman from Pennsylvania. 
uh, who uh, basically said, <laughs> you heard him say it. He says, we got to get rid of Menendez. And, um, and and listen, not to agree with Democrats, it's a rare moment. But listen, I'm bipartisan in this. I will tell you that right now, as it stands, George Santos was expelled for being a politician that lied. And, and that's it. I mean, all these other federal investigations and criminal matters, when they're adjudicated, it would have been the perfect time to say, you know what, in light of you being found guilty of X, Y, and Z, we're going to expel you. But you were given your due process rights, and now, now we know. Now here's what it is. But they didn't really give them that chance. And they rushed, in my opinion, to, to an outcome they were eventually going to get to anyway. But here we are. Now we have this special election coming up. But what's more interesting is Fetterman, right? And uh, so George Santos today, he was on social media, and he's um, you know announcing if anybody wants uh, for him to comment, They've got to pay him. I think it's $200 in order to get um, him to do one of those little cameo ads. I think I'm going to put a, one of those pages up a cameo. If anybody wants me to wish him a happy birthday, you could send me some money and I'll do it. That sounds fun. But anyway, Senator Fetterman uh, actually bought one of those cameo videos. It's a customized paid video where the individual, in this case, um, former Congressman George Santos, would, would make a message. <laughs> Listen to this. Hey, Bobby. Uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. Okay, so now that's that's former Congressman George Santos sending a message paid for by Senator Fetterman to Senator Bob Menendez. So when he says, hey, Bobby, he's talking to Gold Bar Bob about uh, how the Democrats are trying to oust him from his seat. And the whole thing was so rich. I just uh, I couldn't resist playing that for you. That and the fact that we don't have really a hardcore uh, big issues, I think, to talk about. I mean, we do. You've got hackers that have stolen the personal information from 23andMe, that DNA website, about 6.9 million customers. So if you've ever requested a DNA test through 23andMe, uh, China or whoever, China or whomever is the hacker in this situation uh, likely now has that information. And that goes right in hand with the story we were talking about over the weekend. I, I mean, on Friday, with respect to the um, the UAE starting a company called G42, and it's an AI company. And they work with the um, open AI from Microsoft. But U.S. intelligence was, you know, saying, hey, what's going on here? Because they have the, the cahoots, right? They're in cahoots with um, Huawei Technologies, which has been sanctioned by the U.S. And that was reported last Monday by the New York Times. So anyway, this this um, this G42, they do the AI and they work with these other companies. And um, the CIA folks believe that they could have passed the genetic data of millions of Americans to China. And that, that's horrible. Now, last week, and this is what we were talking about when we uh, discussed this last week, that they feel that the um, AI systems... Um, are prone to prying eyes. However, the um, senior senior IT guy at, at G42 uh, says that they can't really be held accountable for data that has been passed on to, to customers, um, you know, if, if it comes from a hack. You know, their job is to keep it secure, but if they've been hacked, they've been hacked. 
That's very reassuring. And anyway, uh, that's the story with that. Now, tonight, we're going to get into a bunch of things. I, I want you to stick with me because um, it's, it's, um, it's going to be a, a busy night, right? A lot of topics to deal with. We're going to talk about what uh, some are saying is the rise of medical murder in the United States. Uh, we're also going to talk about this right here, China. And why is it that we're allowing, uh, or should we be allowing, should Congress put uh, the kibosh, right? Should they hit the brakes on investment in foreign entities, in particular, the Chinese Communist Party or anybody that names them as a partner? So investing with China, should Congress be curbing that or should they be supporting it? Well, we'll talk about that. Plus, there's um, a new term, controligarchs. It's like, you know, oligarchs that want control. And um, we're going to dig into how that term came to be and uh, the, the person who put that term together. And it's, it's a good term, I think, because it's, it's a great way to describe somebody that believes in uh, oligarchy um, or oclocracy, if you will, to get a little more fancy, and, and is a, has this you know, global political view and is coming after you. They want your data. They want your genetic information. They want your 23andMe so they can know everything about you. And uh, to me, that sounds like a Chinese credit score system waiting to happen or in the making. So we're going to find out about that as well later on. But uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about that medical murder in the U.S. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you straight till one o'clock this morning, Eastern time. And we were talking about what some are calling medical murder and the rise of it here in the United States. And it reminded me of, of just how interesting things are right now. Where the other day I mentioned this to you, where uh, I, I was scrolling on Instagram and saw this bizarre, bizarre video and I thought it was some sort of parody. And then I realized it was not a parody. It was real. Uh, and it was about physician-assisted suicide in the way of, of a pod where it's almost like a coffin with a see-through top that's airtight. And uh, you hit a button, and it releases some sort of chemical gas that kills you. And you kill yourself. So if you want to do it, like, you know, under the Golden Gate Bridge or looking at a particular skyline... And before we bring our guest in, I want to play this audio for you because it was really um, striking, in my opinion, that we've gotten to this place. And of course, a lot of people like to be open minded and they say, well, listen, if someone wants to go, let them go. And, and, and that may be their prerogative, but it's definitely not the law, at least in most jurisdictions. Listen to this. This is the sarcopod, a.k.a. the suicide pod. And the way it works is if you want to end your life, all you have to do is take an online test to determine whether you're mentally fit for suicide. 
And if so, you can have one of these pods transported anywhere you want. You just get in and press a button that releases nitrogen gas into the chamber where you will pass out and suffocate. It even has an option for a transparent view. So if you want to see a particular vista before ending your life, you can have this pod transported to whatever location you want to see before you die. This might seem weird to those of you who are here in the States, but assisted suicide has grown in popularity in other parts of the world, particularly in Canada with their medical assistance and dying program, where doctors actually suggest suicide as a solution to patients who are in mental or physical distress. It's easy to see the dystopic element to all of this. Why is death being commercialized and sold as an experience? Is this the end result of our materialistic society that... Now, this is a woman, again, she's going on and she's railing about this thing. But <clears throat> in reality, wow. I mean, I, I had not heard of such a thing. I knew that you could go to certain states and they had, you know, like uh, advanced hospice, physician-assisted suicide. I didn't know you could order a pod and do it yourself. And again, uh, I don't know how legal that is in how many jurisdictions. But the point is there's an overall culture that's shifting in healthcare. And uh, when I saw this, th this, um, this number, right, there's uh, a stat here. I'm just opening this up to, to share it with you. Listen to this. Medical murder is outpacing heart disease and cancer becoming America's number one cause of death. Uh, now, this is provided by Overton and Associates uh, from September of this year. But uh, they're saying that new research from patients' rights advocate, legal trailblazer, Scott Shara, who's our guest, um, is showing that there's data driving this hastened death, saying people are too expensive. Now, we've heard of this. This was the initial argument um, that... We um, we made, I think, when uh, Obamacare came about and they said, you know, there's going to be death squads and death panels and people are just going to say, you know what, it's easier to let you go. It's easier to take a, a less aggressive approach to care than a more aggressive one, especially if you're overweight, uh, predisposed to medical illness uh, or just old. And and again, that's how they do it in a lot of these countries with socialized um, health care. Uh, but is that where we're going? Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment, but I want to really get to the crux of this because uh, Scott Shara, he is a uh, Shara, excuse me. They've, they've, him and his family, they've filed a lawsuit against a Catholic hospital and the medical personnel there because of the death of his special needs daughter, Grace. And this is obviously a very sensitive topic, but one that he wants to share with us so uh, let's welcome Scott Shera. Welcome, sir. Well, Rich, thanks a lot for having me. You bet. Anytime. Um, my condolences on, on, you know, the loss of your daughter, Grace Shera, 19-year-old, um, that uh, had Down syndrome and died at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Um, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about the background of the situation and how this whole thing um, unfolded for you and your family. Well, start with the premise that we had been subject to the belief that hospitals were safe zones. I was not awake to anything about this medical murder agenda that I've been researching and that you referenced in your open. I had no idea of this at the time we took Grace to the hospital. We had been influenced by the COVID propaganda narrative and because Grace's oxygen dropped to 88%, her oxygen saturation level dropped to 88%. We were led to believe that she needed to go to the hospital. She really just had a bad cold. And seven days later, she was dead. 
if we would have never taken her to the hospital, Grace would be alive today, and I'm 100% certain of that. What happened to her is, if you walk through the days, it was started October 6th was the day I took her to the emergency room, and she her last day on earth was October 13th. From the 6th through the 10th, I was with her in the room. I was taken out by an armed guard on the 10th. As now we overlay the medical records, we see that they started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex on October 9th. And during the time where we didn't have an advocate, my daughter Jessica ended up being able to replace me as an advocate. But during the time we didn't have an advocate, which was for 47 hours, they chose to increase the dose of the sedation med six different times. So they sedated my little buddy instead of taking care of her. By the time we got to Grace's last day, she, in spite of that sedation med, was doing great. The doctor called my wife, Cindy, and I that morning of her last day and commented about how great of a day Grace had the day before, which we knew because Jessica was with her. And this is in spite of being sedated for four days at this point. The the sedation med that I mentioned, Presidex, has a package insert. Every drug has a package insert. Those are the rules of engagement. The package insert for Presidex says to not use that drug for more than 24 hours because it causes acute respiratory failure, which they listed that as the first cause of death on Grace's death certificate. So in that regard, they told the truth. But what happened that morning is the doctor was really on a mission to get us to agree to a ventilator. We did not agree to a ventilator. We said no, and they put in place plan B, which was they increased the dose of Presidex to the maximum allowable dose as soon as we said no to the ventilator. And this was still on the phone call with the doctor. Simultaneous with hanging up the phone, he put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace's chart. Well, the Presidex didn't kill her. So what they did next was added lorazepam and morphine, which those meds you may not be familiar with, but that's what they use to euthanize somebody in their last hour of life in hospice care. And they combine those meds in Grace's IV in a 29 minute window. And of course that killed Grace. And that combination of meds, according to the morphine package insert, is never supposed to be done unless you have the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. So Scott that Shira, was really hold that good. thought. I want to pick up right where you left off with the combination of Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine. Folks, we're on with Scott Shera. Uh, he is the president of an organization he started called Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines On. We're going to continue with him straight ahead discussing medical murder. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Scott Shera. He's president of Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines On, their website, ouramazinggrace.net. And uh, his family's filed a medical malpractice lawsuit claiming that hospital staff knowingly killed their daughter. And uh, we're also discussing the rise of medical murder in the United States. Now, Scott Shera, before we took the break, you were explaining um, how this uh, unfolded for your family, explaining that uh, your daughter suffered a hypoxic episode and was given Presidex in combination with lorazepam and morphine, similar to what they would offer as palliative care to someone in hospice, um, not a 19-year-old that was expected to make a recovery. Scott Shera. That's, of course, right on, Rich. And what happened, just to finish up the story, is after they gave Grace that med combination, my daughter Jessica, who was in the room, felt Grace get cold. She asked the nurse in charge to come in and take a temperature, begging that something's going on here. And that nurse just responded, cover her with a blanket. That's normal. And when Jessica called my wife and I on a FaceTime call, that evening, she was panicking at this point. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, they refuse. They will not come in the room. So we started screaming to save our daughter. And this is when we learned she was DNR, do not resuscitate, because they wouldn't come in the room and stood outside with a guard and hollered back, she's DNR. And we watched Grace die on that FaceTime call seven minutes later at 7.27 p.m. on October 13th of 2021. I've become a full-time researcher since her death after I realized it was murder and you know, ultimately have exposed the reality that medical murder is the number one cause of death in the United States and it's by design. In your, in your open, you said quite a mouthful and you referenced Obamacare and you referenced the Canadian MAID program. Well, I want to connect a couple of dots relative sure. to your open. The first one is Ezekiel Emanuel was the chief architect of Obamacare, and his mode of action or his mentality was that non-contributing of members of society do not deserve medical care. Well, Grace was a non-contributing member. Everybody on Medicare and Medicaid is a non-contributing member of society under this game plan. And it's because the, of the cost. They've convinced the entire medical industrial complex that the cost to maintain the people on Medicare and Medicaid is too high. It's $3 trillion a year. There's 135 million Americans on those two programs at a cost of $3 trillion, which is 50% of the annual federal budget. Well, how they pulled this off, Rich, your reference to Obamacare is, is mm -hmm. interesting because I did not know this, of course, until I started researching. Section 1553 of Obamacare is titled Prohibition Against Discrimination on Assisted Suicide. And it says specifically, the government may not subject an individual, that would be a doctor, or an institutional healthcare entity, that would be a hospital, nursing home, or hospice care facility, to discrimination on the basis that that entity does not provide any healthcare item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. So you can see in on March 23rd of 2010, which is when Obamacare was passed, we're first to the punch. And you know, so we beat the Canadian MAID program by a decade. 
and you know, and why I came to the conclusion after researching that medical murder is the number one cause of death is because what they have done, you know, of course, COVID exposed this, and but it it has been going on for decades. And what they have done, starting in the eighties, they started writing standards of care, and standards of care are written to hasten our death. Hastening death is murder. I'll give you an example. If you got cancer, the typical person, maybe not you because you're awake, but the typical person, when they go into the doctor with an ailment, they do a biopsy they have, and he says, you have cancer. What does that person believe? They've been, they're programmed to believe that chemo and radiation are the cure. Well, those two supposed cures only have a 3% success rate. So their doctor says, hey, let's schedule your chemo or radiation treatment. With a, They don't tell them it only has a 3% success rate. They don't tell them that cancer has been cured. What the person is programmed to care about is, does my insurance pay for this? Mm-hmm. And the doctor puts his arm around the patient, says the good news is you're on Medicare and it pays for it. And they just signed, the doctor and the patient just signed their death certificate. But this is how they have pulled this off. And of course, COVID was the excuse to pull it off in, 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 on steroids. You know, Scott Shera, um, I, I I learned a little bit about this from um, a family friend. My um, my dad passed away in 2017, and um, it was very difficult for me to get a straight answer uh, after a stroke he had. He was 80, and. I couldn't get a straight answer out of any of the doctors. I was like, you know, is my dad expected to make a recovery from the stroke? And the answer was always, oh, we don't know. You know, anything's possible. Uh, I was like, well, what do you, I mean, are we looking at five days, five months, five weeks? Never. What what do you think? And they're like, well, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. There was zero answers. And so I became more aggressive with um, the doctors. And uh, I got one doctor and I said, look, if this were your dad, what would you do? And she turned to me and she said, if this were my dad, I would bring him home and comfort him until he took his last last breath. And I said, and you'd be prepared to do that for the long haul? And she said, in this condition, I don't think it would take that long. And I said, oh, it's funny. When it's your dad, you could tell me it's not going to take that long. When it's my dad, you're like, I don't know. It could take forever. And then she walked away. Um, I requested to talk to the chief of neurology and uh, to speed the story up. I, I got a similar answer. And then he finally looks at me and he says, sir, you want me to do something that I can't do, which is to tell you if your dad's going to live or die or how long he's got. And I said, well, why can't you do that? You do it with everybody else. He said, yeah, but these are, this is a difficult thing. He said, you know, you, you have the ability to make a choice to prolong his life for as long as, as, as his brain will allow his heart to beat, but he won't really be alive. And, and, uh, and I said, well, I don't understand. He says, well, he won't be able to swallow. He won't be able to do this. He's so many things he couldn't do, uh, but he could breathe on his own. And, and it was, it was a really remarkable conversation because it ended with him saying, I said, would you do this to your dad? Like, how would you handle it? And he said, I I read his body language and he said, absolutely not. That would be torture. And, and that's the opinion of the people. So I shared that story as I shared it with you with a family friend that would come over for barbecues all the time. And I would see her in the backyard and she was an an ER nurse, but had um, shifted into becoming a hospice nurse. And one day I was telling her and, you know, she was listening to me vent and she just looked at me and said, she said, you know, Rich, you ever notice when you go to those old folks homes 
you never really bump into doctors and nurses that are retired that are there. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I did notice that. I, I've never seen one. I see plumbers, uh, cops, you name it, but not, not uh, retired doctors or nurses. She said, why do you think that is? And I said, um, I don't know. And she said, because we take care of our own. We take the Hippocratic Oath seriously. Do no harm. Do the most good. And, and uh, I understood that to be that there's this unwritten rule amongst those in healthcare that when they really perceive somebody suffering, even if the family's not on board, now she wasn't saying that she did that, but that ultimately they were all on board with one another to, um, to make it the most comfortable situation possible. And uh, it was mind-blowing to me that that was how they all had their minds made up. But that was, in fact, the case. And I could see how it could be very difficult for you when you're saying, hey, look, this is my kid and I want to do X, Y, and Z. And, and they've got a kind of one-track mind thinking the best situation for this person is the outcome that we'd like to provide. And the only thing stopping us from providing this outcome, which is death, is you, the family, that's getting in the way. And, or your prayer or your faith or whatever the case may be. And it, it was such an eye-opening experience for me to realize that no matter what you want, whatever you ask, there are still people that just don't believe what you believe. Scott, stick around. I want to get your reaction to that and um, learn a little bit more about your organization. Folks, we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And let us um, continue with Scott Shera. I'm going to get to your calls momentarily as well. Uh, Scott Shera, uh, we left off with um, you um, telling us about what happened, the unfortunate uh, occurrence with your daughter and the lawsuit. And I wanted you to have a chance to... Um, you know, give your reaction and give us, uh, I guess, uh, the update on that, uh, as well as how people can learn more about the work you're doing. So my reaction to what you said before the break, I'll go through first, then I'll talk briefly about the lawsuit. Sure. What's going on, Rich, is that the medical profession has been incentivized, and they've been incentivized in a culture of death. Uh, if you're familiar with Hannah Arendt, she studied the Adolf Eichmann trial in World War II, and she coined the phrase banality of evil. Banality means common. So evil is so common, we don't even recognize it. And you know, I've studied Down syndrome more than any other population group because Grace had Down syndrome. And you just take a look at the idea with Down syndrome. 90% of babies are aborted in the womb right now before they're ever born, babies with Down syndrome. How does that even happen? Well, because it's considered normal. 
the person is convinced by the doctor to get an amniocentesis. If that shows the propensity for Down syndrome, they're encouraged to get an abortion. They don't have any conscience of it because the white coat told them to do this. And it's considered that they're doing a benefit to society. You know, in this research on Obamacare, I found a smoking gun relative to Down syndrome. They have to write training documents to implement this Obamacare agenda. So there's one for Down syndrome and says specifically, whenever possible, decision makers, that's the doctors, for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment to make key palliative care decisions. All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. This is a training document for doctors. It's written by doctors. You know, so you know, when you hear this stuff that happened to your dad and you know what's happening to other people, you can you wonder what's going on. Well, the incentives with COVID, of course, were directly the the United States government, courtesy of the taxpayer paid hospitals directly to follow protocols to kill people. Before that, they were paid indirectly. How? Because their reimbursement rates under Medicare and Medicaid are determined based on what percentage of their population base, their patient patient population base, they can convince to take the standard of care. And the standards of care are designed to hasten death. So anyway, that's my comment about what you said before the break. Uh, relative to the lawsuit, just a, a couple of bullet points. We have the first of its kind lawsuit with a, a death during the COVID era. The judge set a three-week jury trial. We have a three-week jury trial starting November 4th of 2024, the day before the presidential election. Uh, we did a very unique way to file this lawsuit because we filed, of course, against the hospital system, but we also filed against the five doctors and two nurses who were directly involved with Grace's death to put the entire country on notice that you are going to be held to account for your choices. You can't kill somebody and have no consequence. And then last but not least, what we did in addition to filing a medical malpractice claim, we filed a battery claim. And that's extremely important. It's gonna be the first medical battery claim that is heard in the country in over five decades. And if we win that claim, it'll set precedent for all other medical murder claims. So they can't bury these claims under medical malpractice. Medical malpractice is has an incidence of negligence, which means it was a mistake. And these deaths are not mistakes. And so that's a super important element of the case. And I think you, you asked last, how can people get a hold of me? Yes. Uh, through the main website that you mentioned, ouramazinggrace.net you'll see that there's um, a contact us or a contact form there that uh, people can get a hold of me that way. Scott Shera, president of Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines On, Inc. The website for that, ouramazinggrace.net. Uh, Scott Shera, you're a wealth of information, and uh, I, I'm just um, I'm encouraged by the work that you're doing because it's not easy, and I think it's really important. Uh, folks, if you want to find out more about what Scott Share is up to, go check him out at OurAmazingGrace.net. And we're going to go to your phone calls right after this. Scott Share, I want to thank you for being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, sir. Well, thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. You bet. Godspeed. Don't go anywhere. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to the phones we go let's go to mike in butte montana kxtl mike go right ahead hello rich i really enjoy your show thank you sir i appreciate that i wanted to talk i thank you i uh i wanted to talk to you about that medical murder as far as it goes with the va yeah and i i was going to the va from about 2000 to 2018 and, and they diagnosed me with cancer in 2018 and i'd watched a couple of my friends that they treated and they, they were dead within a year so i didn't want the treatment so so that's i'm five years with cancer and, and no ill effects but you know they wanted to Thank i think God. they're shills for for big pharma is my opinion yeah, you know, my thought, and I agree with you, my brother went through a, a, a situation with cancer <clears throat> um, about a year ago, um, and I can tell you that it was, you know, his his initial thing was like you. He said, I don't want any treatment. Uh, his family insisted that, you know, he get treatment, so he got radiation, he got chemo, and, and he did, and he's, you know, as close to cancer-free as one could say they are right now, knock on wood, thank God. Um but he, he always, throughout the process, he said, you know, he felt it was very arbitrary, the amount of chemo that they give you, the amount of radiation. He said, you know, ultimately, you've got to know your body and know when to stop that stuff. And he felt like halfway, not halfway through, probably about 80% of the way through, he said, that's enough. I don't want any more. I'm good. And, uh, and he's okay. Um, and the doctors at the time were really pushing him to do it. And point is, you know, you're right. I don't think they do it on purpose. I think that, you know, the, the pharma companies, they, they train people, they have these, they find somebody to come up with a, a study that says that this is good for people. And then they go and say, Hey, look, and then there's other incentives I'm sure as well. But I think by and large, people want to help people. And they really think that's the best way to help. Whereas there are other people that say, you know, no, thanks. And, and, and they're okay. And I think it's really, you've got to have uh, like that law that Trump signed the, the right to try act right i think people do need a right to try and do what what they've got to do um and and this is why this whole suicide pod thing is is you know could fall into that people saying well i want to try that (laughs) and maybe it should be like try whatever you got to try up to and including you know offing yourself um but um remarkable story and and i'm glad that you're five years and doing better sue sorry i couldn't get to you this hour Uh, Mike, you are a a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I want to thank you for the call and for your kind words. And, folks, we continue our discussion uh, straight ahead. We're going to talk about, well, there's a few things that are on the agenda tonight. Like I said, we're going to talk about, um, let's see, what else did I say? Yep, China. Send the money to China. And um, what is, well, I'll tell you later. Be right back.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Monday afternoon, Monday evening, actually, here with you till 1 o'clock in the morning. It's hour number two of the program. If you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, earlier I gave you a couple of headlines. Uh, Congress has frozen Biden's $6 billion for Iran with a vote of 307 to 119. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you also have a um, a panel uh, in Congress that's revealing now that Joe Biden got recurring payments from Hunter's firm starting in 2018. Uh, former President Trump has appealed the New York gag order and um, left-wing Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal is now being slammed by her fellow House Democrats for downplaying the Hamas rape allegations. We'll get into that uh, at the top of the next hour. And, of course, there's always a move in Congress, one way or another, uh, that seems to not make sense, right? And in this case, we've got some conservatives, some uh, moderate Republicans that are out there that don't support um, curbing investment in China. And if the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, if they're not, if they're not stopped, if they're not uh, checked in any way, they're just going to get stronger and stronger. And I think it's a good idea for us to say, hey, you know, um, we're not doing that. Kind of like the um, governor uh, in Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she um, recently put a, a measure into place signed into law where saying, no, we're not selling it. You can't sell the farms in Arkansas to um, Chinese owned companies. Great. Good move. Um, I think we need more of that. We need more of that type of protectionism, if you will, in the United States in order to move forward. And it seems like not everybody's on board with that. Some are taking a more libertarian approach. Like, Hey, look, it's their money. They can do what they want, but there's a downside to that. And I want to get into that conversation with, uh, Brian Burak, he's a senior policy advisor for China and the Indo-Pacific Asian Studies Center at the Heritage Foundation. Brian Burak, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet. So let's talk about this, because I know there's oftentimes the, um, the, the debate that goes on whether, you know, uh, people in the U.S. should continue to get further into bed with China? Are we in a new Cold War? Is it a trade war? Um, is it going to become a hot war? And there isn't enough, um, I think, guidance on the issue and or even leadership is really what I think is lacking from the Biden administration. And you've got some Republicans that are just kind of uh, thinking it's the Wild West. What's going on? Yeah. So at the Heritage Foundation, we've been pretty clear. Uh, we started early this year pointing out that we are in something that's that's very similar to a Cold War with China. 
that's the reality. Uh, today, China functions as our adversary, and we need to be clear about that. So what, what are some of the things that you guys are pointing out or highlighting in, your, in, you know, in the papers you're putting forward to, to make the case against China and um, you know, make sure that people don't go ahead and, and start you know, dumping all their money into China, thinking it's going to turn a, a, a great in, a, a return on investment when they're really helping the enemy? Yeah, well, I mean, the argument, I think, is pretty simple on this issue, which is that, you know, China's our adversary today, but Wall Street is using our pensions and our savings to help them build the weapons that they could potentially use against us in the near future. Right. So that's obviously a big problem, and it should be incumbent on every elected leader to want to take care of that. And what do you think is uh, stopping those uh, in, in Congress, you know, whether Democrat or Republican, why, why aren't they on board with putting an end to that? Yeah, it, you know, it's an interesting issue because many of the things that we'll contend with, we break down on partisan lines. We're used to that in the polarization of Congress. But this one is different, right? What we've seen is the United States Senate has almost unanimously supported taking more aggressive steps to start examining and scrutinizing investments into China. The House hasn't really tested the proposition yet, but what we're seeing now is a very small group of House Republicans, actually, that are, have been in a position that where they can go ahead and stop this entire process from, from going along. So this, the current annual defense bill that's pending in Congress, it's likely to pass in the near future, was the best shot that the United States had thus far to start making new law on actually providing some transparency around investments to China. Uh, unfortunately, in the last couple of days, this small group of House Republicans essentially killed that effort. We're more or less back to the drawing board, and it's pretty unclear at this point when we'll have another bite at the apple. Um, you know, there's there's uh, some potential new legislation that's been dropped in the last week or so, but it's going to be a long road to get back to where we were with this opportunity that we had in the defense bill before this small group of Republicans who are close to Wall Street decided that they objected. Well, that's disappointing. And when we look at something like this, um, um, who are some of these um, small number of Republicans that are, are not supporting this this effort? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's this isn't my speculation um, because this group literally wrote a letter to the speaker uh, earlier this week, um, you know, signing on the dotted line and putting their names to the proposition. But the House Financial Services Committee is led by Chairman Patrick McHenry. He's been extremely vocal that he thinks that it is actually in the United States' best interest if we continue investing into China. Um, and the, the rationale that's been cited for this proposition is that by doing so, we can change the behavior of Chinese companies and ensure that they're complying with United States laws. You know, it sounds great, but I think that, unfortunately, that's a proposition that's been tested for about 40 years. And I think pretty much uh, it's, it's I think I, I don't think many Americans would agree with that line of reasoning. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, just to think that, well, there's going to be American money coming in, so you might as well be nice to the Americans. Uh, that hasn't stopped them from stealing whatever they steal and doing whatever they do forever. You know, uh, the only time that wasn't happening was before they we started doing business with them again. So uh, I'm exactly. with you on that one. And, and that was probably a, a safer time for all of us. I think once we started trade again with, with China, they've only become bigger and bigger and bigger and we're literally funding our biggest enemy in uh, so many different ways. So Patrick McHenry, um, 
his rationale is that they're going to be nice eventually, and he's got some people on board with him. Uh, is it that they're sold out and beholden to the communist Chinese, or is it really just a difference of opinion? So I think there's a couple things going on here. This is a congressional committee that's in charge of regulating the the financial services industry, essentially Wall Street and the big banks and the like. Right. You know what we see way too often is that, you know, you know, there's there's reason to be concerned about congressional capture. Like, how close are any particular entities of government to the to the industries that they're supposed to be regulating? So I think that there's there's that dynamic to scrutinize. The other element of this is is that they've put forward what they propose as a better alternative solution, which is essentially to continue going about sanctioning China but the way that the way that we always always have, which is company by company, entity by entity, one by one, whack-a-mole type of approach. Right. Unfortunately, what we're dealing with now is that that's an intrinsically backwards looking process. So if we're trying to prevent China from taking the lead in military technologies, and if we're trying to cut them off from certain technologies, going ahead and sanctioning an individual company after they've already achieved it doesn't really seem like an effective approach. So the unfortunately, the, the, the tactic that they've killed is a sectoral approach, essentially saying that any investments in hypersonics or any investments in quantum or AI are prohibited. What they've, what they've put forward instead is an approach where we would only go after specific companies after they've already taken malign actions in those technologies, which you know, obviously isn't going to get the job done. That makes sense. It sucks. That, that's the position we're in, but it makes sense. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Brian Burak, Senior Policy Advisor on China, Indo-Pacific, and Asian Study Center at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to continue to discuss this and uh, more straight ahead. The phone number, if you're interested in joining the conversation, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And so what we're trying to do, if you think about a supply chain in that regard, we're trying to go to the left of that supply chain, as far left as we can go, getting at the chemical ingredients that that make up fentanyl in China. And President Xi made it clear yesterday that he doesn't want to see another American die because of fentanyl. He recognizes that they can have a significant role to play here to, to get at the left of that problem. That is uh, John Kirby, uh, spokesman for the National Security Council. Um, again, um, standing up for his boss, President Xi, saying that uh, they, they don't want to see anybody die of fentanyl. But yet fentanyl continues to abound. Uh, we've got secret police stations on American soil run by the Chinese. You've got 
I mean, all sorts of things. Uh, the story I mentioned on Friday and again earlier in my uh, in my first segment, which was this co- uh, company. Um, what was that company called again? G42, right? Uh, backed by the, the United A- Arab Emirates and um, suspected of being in bed with um, Huawei. And uh, then you've got this hack today on 23andMe where everybody's genetic information is all over the place. I mean, China is all over the place, in my opinion, not to mention all of the threats going uh, at Taiwan. And it seems like all we can do is um, just sit back and watch them take over. You've got all these uh, backdoor influence programs with U.S. companies. And uh, I just can't imagine why it's actually happening and why it's not stopping. Uh, Brian Burak from Heritage Foundation, what say you? I think two things. First of all, if China wanted to stop Americans dying from fentanyl, they they would stop it. They can lock up a protester in a matter of hours. They can absolutely locate the people who are responsible for shipping illicit chemicals. Um, the other side of the of the prompt, I think, is that we absolutely can win. We just need to start taking the national security actions that we're capable of taking. Um, you know, this is a perfect example of this issue wherein we're helping China continue to benefit from United States capital to build their military capabilities. We could stop it today if we achieve the proper consensus, but. We continue to have these individuals and, and, you know, committees in Congress that really just aren't with the, the national security realities of the times. When it comes to making these efforts that you're talking about, taking the, um, the national security measures that, that we should be and we can take, is it just policy or uh, is there more to it as to why we're not doing it? What are the measures you think we should take? The really big problem is that it was the United States policy for decades to enrich China and in the process enrich yourself. And that is a very difficult thing to unwind. And many of the things that are most important are hindered because there are, there are folks out there who are addicted to Chinese money, essentially. So the outbound investment is, is a great example of that. It's p- probably the most important thing that we need to do. Stop helping them beat us. Stop funding them to beat us. Um, but unfortunately, there are powerful Wall Street entities that are very accustomed to making fees by helping folks invest in China and making fees by helping Chinese companies you know, list on our stock markets, for example. We're also seeing issues where you know, there's a famous, uh, you know, famous Marxist quote about capitalists selling you the rope to hang yourselves. Well, you know, we sell China a lot of advanced technology that uh, they, you know, use to advance their military military capabilities as well. Um, That's been a very, very difficult uh, battle to start using this national security tool called export controls that we have to stop selling them advanced things like semiconductors that they can then use to develop AI technology and use to model hypersonic weapons and the like. So, you know, unfortunately, we've gotten so intertwined with the Chinese economy that what we're seeing is most of the arguments relating to these national security steps that we absolutely have to take boil down to it's going to take a penny out of someone's pocket. So, again, and is this strictly um, a political issue or is this something that you think is happening because of, um, you know, policy perspectives uh, or or is it people are sold out? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a combination of all of the above. But 
it seems to me we didn't have this problem this badly in the past, and it seems to be a lot worse. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, I think I think you're right. It, it really is a mess, right? Because some of these arguments do break down along partisan lines. Um, some of them do not. And and what we're seeing right now is an, largely an intra-Republican food fight. And I think that one, one thing that might be helpful is consider how we treat China vice how we treat our other adversaries, right? It would be absolutely unthinkable to walk into a CVS and use a Russian payment app to buy a pack of gum. But you can walk into a CVS and use Alipay, uh, which is a Chinese app, to buy a pack of gum, right? We treat China as if it weren't an adversary. Um, and that's really what we have to get 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 to the root of, because, you know, it's, it, we don't treat China like we treat Iran. We don't treat China like we treat North Korea. And increasingly, we should. Is this, again, just good lobbying, their unrestricted warfare on us of them, you know, doing whatever they have to do to buy politicians, send Fang Fang and do whatever else they can do to get the better of us? Or is is there another reason that they're getting such preferential treatment? I think that they're on the the Chinese Communist Party is unusually skillful at deception. Um, You know, we just saw this take place in San Francisco where, you know, we had all this pageantry surrounding uh, essentially a summit that, that got us really nothing, mm-hmm. um, but, but did achieve a year of delay and a year of distraction that benefited the CCP, in my opinion. Um, so they are, they are unusually good at that. They are unusually good at enriching their friends who are in positions of power. Um, and they are unusually good at making clear that if you toe the party line, you can profit alongside them. Brian Burak, let everybody know how they could find you and keep up to speed with the great work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Rich. I really appreciate being on. Um, I'm on Twitter under my name, Brian with a Y. Last name's B-U-R-A-C-K. That's probably the easiest way. All right, folks, give him a follow on Twitter at Brian Burak on X or Twitter as it's known and uh, follow the work that he's doing at heritage.org as well. Brian Burak, thank you, sir, for uh, kind of enlightening us on a a lot of this um, and highlighting what you call the an intra-party food fight amongst Republicans. That's something I think we need to rein in. We have enough competition with the Democrats getting in the way. We don't need Republicans uh, being um, pro-China as well. But thank you, sir, for joining us. I appreciate it. My privilege. Thank you. You bet. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We continue with your calls and more as we progress through our agenda this evening. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And up next, we're going to learn about this term, controlagarchs. What's going on with these uh, billionaires? Don't go anywhere. with respect to these uh, elites that are sold out, whether it's to China or to a global agenda. And again, we we see these hacking uh, situations that go on. Uh, Last week, it was um, an artificial intelligence firm that was backed by the UAE, G42, 
that caught the CIA's attention, saying that they may be transferring uh, certain genetic data of Americans to the Chinese. And then today we see that 23andMe was hacked. And it just makes you think, what is going on with all of these elites, this modern-day oligarchy, uh, better said, oclocracy, that is really just trying to be in control of absolutely every aspect of our lives and really supplanting our uh, our freedom, our liberty. And uh, there's a new book called Controligarchs, Exposing the Billionaire Class, Their Secret Deals, and the Globalist Plot to Dominate Your Life. And I think it's such a, a really well-put title because, you know, every now and again for, for kicks and giggles, I'll play a clip of Klaus Schwab or his uh, little sidekick, uh, uh, Yuval Harari, right? But you've got Bezos, you've got Soros, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. These people truly, they've already made money, right? It's its a bigger issue here. It seems like they really want dominance. They want control. And here to explain both the term controligarchs and the the aforementioned book, Controligarchs, Exposing the Billionaire Class, Their Secret Deals, and the Globalist Plot to Dominate Your Life. I want to bring in our guest, Seamus Bruner, Director of Research at the Government Accountability Institute. Seamus, welcome, sir. Rich, it's so great to be with you. Good evening. Thank you. Likewise. Uh, I, I love the title of the book. And folks, if you want to check it out, it's controligarchsbook.com. Uh, but uh, b- both the, the title is great, the subtitle is great uh, in, in, I think, addressing things that are very important right now. These are big conversations that we have to have. What inspired you to write this? Yeah, so I work with a gentleman named Peter Schweitzer at the Government Accountability Institute. And those who are familiar with our work know that we follow the money. It's our motto. So we uh, <clears throat> followed the money uh, to the Clintons, to the Bidens, uh, to McConnell and all, you know, both sides were nonpartisan. Um, but we sort of, you know, during the pandemic got this feeling that they're, uh, and, you know, we've all felt it for many years now, that they're sort of this elite class and the politicians really are just sort of puppets here. Uh, and so we followed the money all the way to the top. And that's the big donor class. Uh, George Soros, of course, is the biggest political spender. But then you've got these guys operating behind the scenes uh, in, in more uh, in center stage during the pandemic. Certainly when you think of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. And, yeah, you mentioned the, the WEF visionary Yuval Noah Harari. Um, and so the way I define control of is these are the billionaires and bureaucrats plotting and scheming to dominate every aspect of our lives. And really, their number one goal, what makes them different than other billionaires, uh, is their number one goal is to take away power from individuals, from people like us, from individual countries like the USA, and transfer that power to international institutions controlled by them. And that would be organizations like the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, etc. And so once you understand that, All of the chaos in our lives, whether it's the open borders or whether it's uh, the crime in our cities, uh, the inflation, everything starts to make sense when you realize that there are these controligarchs who want to take power away from you, away from your country, and transfer it to an international elite. Well, it's it's remarkable. And I mean, that's a really nice um, uh, macro uh, perspective. 
Uh, but each of these crazies has their own micro uh, view and, and things that they want to affect in many ways. Um, tell us a little bit about, you, you mentioned several people, you know, you mentioned Bill Gates and Zuckerberg and uh, Jeff Bezos and Soros and the WEF. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about each of those uh, and what readers can expect to kind of um, walk away with, because it seems like they're up to a lot and, um, and, and they have a lot and they're looking to do a lot more. So I want you to do that in a moment. But I want to remind everybody that uh, we're on with uh, Seamus Bruner. He's the author of the book Controlligarchs, Exposing the Billionaire Class, Their Secret Deals and the Globalist Plot to Dominate Your Life. The book is available on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Uh, you can go to controllergarksbook.com uh, for uh, the website on the book. And, of course, if you want to speak with Seamus, he's with us uh, live. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back with Seamus Bruner. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with uh, Seamus Bruner. He's the author of Controlligarchs, Exposing the Billionaire Class, Their Secret Deals, and the Globalist Plot to Dominate Your Life. Brand new book. I recommend getting a couple of copies, one to give away as a stocking stuffer, another one for yourself. And when we look at this, uh, Controlligarchs, um, Seamus, the, the, the term, is this one that you've coined? I haven't heard this term before, but it seems so fitting. It is. It was. Uh, there was some debate, uh, some some friendly debate between myself and the publisher and others about whether this term would work. Uh, it is hard to spell, uh, but it's it's uh, you can spell it just like it sounds. The word control plus the word oligarchs, and uh, you know if you if search it on Amazon, heaven forbid, uh, you'll you'll probably find results for controlling arches. So just keep scrolling. <laughs> it's down below uh, the controlling arches. Um, but no, they, there were, uh, there were other titles batted around, but I, we just kept coming back to it, um, because it was so fitting. I mean, an oligarch, when people hear the term, uh, typically you think of these, uh, Russian billionaires eating caviar, they're industrialists, uh, out on their mega yachts or something. Um, and, and more recently we've heard, you know, the Silicon Valley oligarchs and the big tech oligarchs, but what the, what an oligarch is, is someone who's very tight with the government, very close. Uh, can exert their will over the government, and they're just fabulously wealthy. Um, and that's fine, but the oligarchs in Russia don't try to control everyone's life. They're not micromanaging everything from the food to the energy to the health care to the information critically. And so in America, we've got these guys. And, and, of course, you've got 
Klaus Schwab and, and the rest of the globalists. But here in the United States, I mean, men like Bill Gates, uh, they really just seem to have a, a, a real desire to change your behavior, make you live a different way, make you drive a different car. You can't have gas stoves. Uh, you can't set the temperature in your home to what you want to in some places. So uh, for the first time ever, we really we crunched the numbers and we found that the most powerful people in the world, men like Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they added each each of them tens of billions of dollars to their personal net worth. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg uh, doubled up since the pandemic began. He, you know, Zuckerberg had 62 or so billion and now he's right around 120. Uh, Bill Gates is up near $120 billion personal net worth. Uh, Bezos is even higher. He's up in the 200s of billions of dollars. And so while we were locked down, our businesses were getting crushed. Uh, our kids were getting dumber, uh, not being able to go to school. These guys were raking it in. Now, that may not surprise the savvy listeners of your show, Rich, um, but what really blew me away is how they leveraged the pandemic. Uh, they Klaus Schwab called it out an opportunity. I'm sure you've heard him say it was an opportunity not only to get rich, but to seize control of key industries that dominate our lives. And so that would be like the energy sector and the food industry. And so I can go into any of the examples you'd like. Yeah, well, I'd love to um, delve into any one of those. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I Schwab, I get he's nuts. Um, Soros, another one, he just, it's, it's just massive control. Bill Gates is one that I just feel like the guy's got this money. What is his deal where all of his stuff is in vaccines and food? And it's, it seems so, um, what do you think was the inspiration behind Gates and all of this, this, um, this altruism, if you will, uh, and, and this desire to help in all these areas where he's not really well-versed? Well, it's not altruism. I can tell you that. I went all the way back to the beginning, I mean, to the beginning of Bill Gates, actually even further to the beginning of Bill Gates Sr. And Bill Gates Sr., not a lot of people know much about Bill Gates' father. Uh, he's he's uh, his late father. He passed away. But Bill Gates' father really steered the course of his life, as every, everyone's uh, father yeah. does, you know, a lot of times. But uh, Bill Gates's father was an intellectual property attorney, a really powerful attorney uh, in in Seattle, Washington, and he helped a lot of companies get off the ground, not just Microsoft. I mean, he was instrumental in companies like Starbucks and Costco, and uh, even Amazon down the line. And so uh, these are all headquartered in in Seattle. And Bill Gates Sr. came up with a lot of the business strategies that guided young Bill Gates, now the Bill Gates we know today. And he's also the guy who steered the course of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill Gates Sr. was, as some have heard and some know, and we, we've got the documents to prove it, uh, a director at, at Planned Parenthood. And what really drives a lot of these guys is a firm belief that the planet is overpopulated. They're not shy about it. They talk about it openly. They think there needs to be less people. And so the, the rub is where you get to, well, how do you want to do that? Uh, and it seems to be uh, a lot of abortions, a lot of birth control. Bill Gates is one of the biggest funders of, of birth control and abortions and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but he also says vaccines are a good way to bring down the global population. You think, you know, how on earth does curing disease uh, bring down the population? Aren't you saving lives? Doesn't that mean more people are being born? 
Uh, and, we, and we can get to that in a second. But back to his altruism, Bill Gates, yeah. the younger, was never an altruist. He was actually always a cutthroat uh, monopolist. That's how everybody left, right and center viewed him right into the mid 90s. I mean, even his own mother, according to I read all the biographies and memoirs, his own mother would beg him, please give away some of your money to charity. You've made so much of it. You're I mean, by the 90s, he's the world's richest man. And he's been the world's richest man for the past 20, uh, for 20 of the past 30 years. And so his mother would beg with, beg him to give away money. He wouldn't do it. Now, what changed? Well, the Department of Justice started looking into Microsoft's huh. business practices. And it's very much like the Rockefeller prototype, which I talk about in the book, where uh, the Rockefeller Foundation didn't exist before Standard Oil was getting investigated for becoming a trust and it needed to be broken up. And then all of a sudden, the Rockefeller Foundation buys a bunch of good publicity and becomes this global organization. Same thing with Bill Gates. So he sets up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He puts his father in charge of it, and his father sets it up as this global health thing. He's a com- Bill, the younger, is a computer guy. He doesn't really uh, care of, about global health at this time. He doesn't care about vaccines uh, at this time in the mid-'90s when the DOJ is kind of hot on the trail. Um, and there's there's some really interesting things that come out of that Microsoft trial, things that Bill Gates would prefer remain buried. But I unearthed this uh, strategy called Embrace, Extend, Extinguish, uh, sometimes called Embrace, Extend, Exterminate, that the Microsoft executives used to corner uh, various industries in the technology and the digital uh, cyberspace world. Well, right. Bill Gates is using that in the in the both the global health industry uh, and the food industry, where he embraces an industry, meaning he enters this industry, whether it's food or health, and then he sort of extends his reach. And we're right now seeing uh, the extinguish phase, which is where he puts the competition out of business. Microsoft did it to Netscape, an internet browser. They, quote, cut off the air supply to the competition, uh, end quote. And now he's doing the same thing to the farmers. He's doing the same thing to generic medications, uh, ones that you can get over the counter or even uh, just at your you know health health store. Uh, things like you saw during the pandemic, you're not allowed to use even zinc. I mean, things that are totally safe, they would not recommend you using vitamin D or vitamin C, certainly not ivermectin or any of the other things. Wow. Um, and, but you, what you can use, you can use the uh, pharmaceuticals that are patented. And so that's a huge key in Bill Gates's business uh business strategy is is owning the intellectual property and that's that's what's going on with the food he owns all the uh, all these companies he invests in have patents on new protein chains i mean think of it they're patenting fake meats and then they're trying to ban the cows unbelievable seamus stand by right there we're going to come right back to you and let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book folks we're on with seamus bruner he's the author of control exposing the billionaire class their secret deals, and the globalist plot to dominate your life. Make sure you grab a couple of copies of it at controlagarkbook.com. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Amigos, we're uh, wrapping up with Seamus Bruner. He's the author of Controlagarchs, brand new book. Make sure you check it out and uh, get a couple of copies. Um, Seamus Bruner, ultimately, I want you to leave um, the listeners with an impression of, of, you know, why they need to get this book and let them know exactly where to go to get it. Certainly, yes. So uh, you you need to get this book because it's it, it's not just about uh, the things you you know the things like the energy sector and the food industry. The really important thing that it's about is how they're coming for your money and the and information. I mean, we all know about the censorship, um, but what the advancements in AI and central bank digital currencies and digital ID, all of which Bill Gates and the other guys on this cover are pushing really hard right now uh it, it's it's a potentially a game over for us and we don't have much time i'll give you a quick example of how uh cbdc's and digital id work in practice so you, some of you have seen the the irish protests here about migrant violence uh and then you've heard of seen these control irish lawmakers talking about freezing their speech but they're also talking about freezing the protesters assets and freezing their entitlements uh you know, things like think about just getting your social security frozen uh, or, or your, your income frozen for speaking out against something that you see wrong in your country. And there's plenty of lawmakers in the U.S. who want the same thing. You look at Governor uh, Hochul in New York uh, with her Ministry of Truth. And so if they succeed in getting CBDCs and digital ID in, and they're very close, uh, they've basically implemented a social credit score, which equals total authoritarian control. It's happening in Ireland. It happened in Canada with the trucker protests. It's happened to the January 6 protesters. So this is this is the real deal, and it's happening right now. Folks, Seamus Brunner. Uh, Seamus, give them the, uh, the website where they can get a copy of the book. Sure. The book is uh, controlagarchsbook.com, www.controlagarchsbook.com, spelled uh, just like it sounds. And uh, we've got, there's hope. I, you know, I want to leave people with a little hope. You know, we've got hope. There's still some time left, but it's time to wake up. It's time to spread the word and it's time to share the facts. Outstanding. Folks, get a copy of the book Controlagarchs uh, by Seamus Bruner. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Keep up the great work you're doing with Schweitzer. Thank you. You got it, man. Folks, we continue with Open Phone America coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday to you. Hour number three, we call this hour Open Phone America. That's uh, an ode to Larry King, who once hosted this program and uh, used that format, Open Phones Across America. We're going to do the same thing tonight. That tradition was carried on by the late, great Jim Bohannon. And you can feel free to give us a call. 866-50-JIMBO is the old number. That's still operating. The vintage line is still going, the legacy line. And uh, 866-505-4626. Or the uh, regular line, 833-4-VALDEZ. They ring in the same place. And you're welcome to give us a call. I see that we have calls from New York, Idaho, the Philippines, and Michigan so far with more coming in. Uh, I want to discuss something very quickly. Before we get into the calls, and it was the the audio clip there's an ambassador from Bolivia that is now uh, being charged with being a spy for Cuba. How about that? Um, let's uh, play the audio. Go right ahead. This action exposes one of the highest reaching and longest lasting infiltrations of the U.S. government by a foreign agent. As detailed in the complaint, Rocha repeatedly referred to the United States as, quote, the enemy. During the undercover, he told the undercover that his efforts to infiltrate the United States government were, quote, meticulous and, quote, very disciplined. And he repeatedly bragged about the significance of his efforts, saying that, quote, what has been done has strengthened the revolution immensely. So there you have it. These are real deal, real life commies doing espionage. Former U.S. ambassador to Bolivia, Manuel Rocha, accused of spying for Cuba for decades. This is a a, he's a former top uh, diplomat who mostly served as uh, America's ambassador to Bolivia. He was arrested Friday and charged with acting as a foreign agent of Cuba, according to court documents. Back in 1981 and continuing through today, Victor Manuel Rocha, a naturalized citizen born in Cuba and living in Miami, allegedly spied on behalf of the island nation's intelligence agency, referring to the U.S. as the enemy and supporting Cuba's clandestine intelligence-gathering operations. While the indictment does not provide details about the information, prosecutors allege Rocha started with the Cubans during the decades uh, he was accused of working with them and charging um, documents that are described as fostering a relationship with Cuban handlers. Um, He worked as a political officer at the U.S. Embassy in the Dominican Republic and then worked his way up the ranks uh, to becoming ambassador to Bolivia. So there you have it. Uh, I've always believed that so many of these ambassadors um, and and university types are are some sort of intelligence asset, whether they're ours or some other countries. Um, And that's the best place for cover. Right. You know, it's kind of hiding in plain sight, teaching a course on this, doing that, working on foreign policy and being a diplomat. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So I just wanted to share that with you because uh, when you think it's not happening, 
what's actually happening right in our faces. Uh, let's see. Where did I want to go here? Let's uh, go to Kim Shields, Michigan, WILS. Kim, what do you think about this Cuban spy posing as a diplomat? I think it's disgusting, and I think they should try him because they said he's been doing it for 40 years, and then he should be put up against a wall and shot by a firing squad for being a traitor to the U.S. You know, if if he liked Cuba so much, he should go there and he should have lived under Castro, or he should... Cuba is in association with Russia. He should just fly right over to Russia. They, you know, it's sickening. Yeah. But, um, and your thoughts on China? Called, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you had your guest on earlier and he was talking about, I think it was from the Heritage Institute and he was talking about China and um, what that Patrick McHenry said, um, th- that guy must be totally out of touch with reality because China hasn't changed at all. I, I believe it was Nixon and Kissinger that um, wanted to give trading um, back to China in the 70s so that they could look at us and see what a real country does, how they treat their citizens and how they do uh, commerce in the world market. And they they thought that China would become more like us. Well, it hasn't happened. Just to use a good example, um, China has another really bad virus child pneumonia going on right now. And um, it, it hits the adults too, but it's mostly their hospitals are filled up with children with white lung pneumonia and they won't say what it is. I think it's another um, mutation of COVID, but they say, Oh no, it's something, it's a cold or something like that. But China, what they did to give an example, how evil they are, this is going on right now. It's really bad in China. They put out about two weeks ago, they put out a notice that France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Malaysia could right. all do um, international t- travel without a visa to come visit China when they're in the middle of a rip-roaring disease that's filling up all their hospitals. They're doing it again, and it's a really nasty virus. And it's it's actually getting to the epidemic point because it's starting to get into the adults too. But um, And I wanted to say another thing about China. Um, GM has 10 joint ventures there with China. And whenever a company goes to China and sets up shop, they turn over 51% of their interest in their company to China. They lose controlling interest in it. And if they ever want to, and another thing, about a month ago, China started arresting company CEOs. They arrested the one from Bain Capital, the one that Mitt Romney used to work for, yep. and they arrested another one. I don't even know what the reason they they were arrested, but China can do it because they can get away with it. No, we shouldn't be doing business with China. They haven't learned a thing. What do you think? I agree with you. Look, I think, you know, you have to do what's right in the national interest. And it's one thing to be part of a, of a global economy and participate with, you know, everybody else that's on the foreign marketplace but if you're if they're an out and uh 
an out enemy of yours, if they're, you know, or like Blinken would say, an adversary or whatever. Um, I believe China wants to eat our lunch and does on many days. And if you know these people are out to get you and they want dominance of, of your land and your people, then clearly you've got to defend yourself. And uh, there's plenty of ways to defend yourself, um, not the least of which is um, not being in business with these people. Now, I'm not saying we should lock people up and be like the communists, but I am saying we can say, hey, look, we don't do that here. And, you know, encourage people to, to vote with their dollars so that we know you're doing business there. We don't want to do business with you. That's simple. Um, and, and really take action. But to do nothing and to sit there and just pretend uh, is ultimately going to bite us all in the rear end. Thank you, Kim, for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Michigan. And we come back to your calls and more. 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to not only to the live program, as the, the ratings continue to do well, but also the podcast version of this uh, radio show, uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night, the podcast, doing really well. It's in the top 50 of the uh, government chart. I just saw a report today, and uh, that was fantastic. You know, we're usually in the top 100 or so, but being in the top 50 is better than being in the top 100. So uh, thank you all for that. And uh, my personal podcast that I've been doing for years now, This is America with Rich Valdez, short 40-minute uh, commentary that I do, that uh, was... Um, also in the top 100. So thank you for being subscribed to both of those, listening and sharing uh, when you can. And we're going to continue with your calls. Let's go to Doc in Wilmington, Delaware, W-D-E-L. Doc, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich, thank you so much for taking my call. I want to backtrack for a moment here. Uh, Jimbo, bless his soul when he was alive, in the summer of 2022, had a whole hour for on, on intelligence matters and threats to the U.S. He had a couple of guys, gentlemen from the FBI and two from CIA, a panel, panel of experts. And they said that the most underrated threat to the United States, United States of America and its people as an intelligence service was the Cuban service, the DGI. They're all over, they're all over Latin America. They recruit deep cover spies. They're inside this country and they're all over Africa. Just want to give you that heads up. Yeah, listen, I, I don't doubt it for a second. Um, it, I can't imagine another way to promote the um, the communism without without uh, a very robust system like they have to 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 infiltrate and to to get the in there. I mean, there's. I was just thinking about that before, thinking to myself, 
just, you know, just looking at the Chinese flag, you know, you look at that and you think, and again, I'm probably just a biased American, but you look at this red flag with a golden hammer and sickle in the corner. And, and it, it makes me think, why? Why on earth would anybody want to be a communist? <laughs> like, just why? And the, the only answer I really come up with is they've never really gotten a chance to see uh, a free market economy, you know, or what the left calls capitalism. And if they did, they'd likely have a change of heart. Uh, but I think that's how they pull it off. And I think you're right, Doc, that these guys are out there and they're just doing what they do, um, spreading the the message of collectivism. And, you know, those who don't know better and are blinded by, um, you know, you're an imperialist, you're a colonialist, you're evil uh, oppressor, then that's all they focus on. And then they don't really get the actual gist of what's going on and they kind of lose context. That's my thought, Doc. Thank you for your call. I want to keep going so that we can get everybody in. Let's go to Liz, uh, Slingerlands, New York, WGDJ. Liz, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. I'm calling because I was listening to uh, Amos Brunner and his book. And so I went searching for it so I could buy it. And the only way I could find it was by putting his name in. Oh, and look then at that. I could find the book. Yeah, so if you put in Controlagarchs, it was, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Who, who We had somebody on, uh, what was his name, Matt Zappala, the guy on Friday? He was terrific. And he said that when you put his name into, into Amazon, it, it says Matt Spatula. It automatically corrected it to Spatula. I thought that was funny. And, uh, and um, uh, Seamus Bruner said that when you put Controlagarchs in there, it does something about like control arches and uh, it, you get like insoles for your shoes. So I, I, I think it's, um, I don't know if it's Amazon doing it on purpose or if they're just, um, you know, just not up to speed, but either way, definitely look for it by his name. So you can get a copy of the book control by Seamus Bruner. Uh, yeah. A good point, Liz. Thank you. Now, what do you think about the Cubans? Do you think the Cubans um, are, are a threat to us or are they just another, uh, communist body that isn't too concerned about us, so we shouldn't have to worry too much about them. I'm worried about everything. It's my, I, I'll be honest with you, these controller guards are, they're the biggest, in my, in my opinion, mm-hmm. they're taking away our freedom. You can see it. And yeah, it really, well, really mm-hmm. hurts me. Yeah. I can't. I'm so sad. I have, I have uh, 13 grandchildren that I'm, I'm concerned about. I'm on my way out, but um, I, I feel bad for them. I don't want them to grow up under communism. Oh well, yeah. Who who would? Nobody wants that for their children, for their, you know, the next generation or generations of their family. Uh, lamentably, that's you know what what some people are looking for. But for the most part, I think most people. Even if they are into that type of thing, most people are not looking to to bring that here into the U.S. But um, sometimes you get those people that you know they're kind of communist light, and they're no, I'm just a socialist. I'm not. I like bridges. I like roads. You know, and they start to kind of rationalize things in a way where it doesn't really make a ton of sense. And sometimes it's it's um, the stand that people want to take to try and make their point clear that could end up um, making things a little bit more challenging. But 
it is what it is, right? Uh, Liz in Slingerlands, New York, uh, thank you for your call on WGDJ. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more as we uh, move forward. We've got calls, let's see, from Portland, Maine, Boise, Idaho, Manila, Philippines, Dothan, Alabama. Going to get to all of you as we move forward. Also wanted to um, talk about this clip of audio. You've been probably hearing a very short clip of it, of uh, Pramila Jayapal making some statements. And uh, I don't want anybody to lose context for the statements that she made. So we've got the full clip. It's uh, something like two minutes or two and a half minutes long. And uh, you're going to have to grin and bear it for a minute just to hear the entirety of the clip of Pramila Jayapal um, making these, um, in my opinion, very rude comments um, right, uh, right there, you know, uh, right, right on television. So we're going to um, play the audio so that you can hear exactly what she said. And then we're going to get your reaction to that as well. So stick with me, folks. It's Rich Valdez. And again, thank you for subscribing to the podcast. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, feel free. There's two of them. Uh, they're both free of charge, absolutely free. This is America with Rich Valdez uh, is uh, my short commentary. And then you've got the daily podcast of this radio show, which is called Rich Valdez America at Night. And I highly recommend that as well so that you guys can get, um, you know, up to speed on anything you need. And if you don't want to download the podcast or subscribe to it, that's fine. You can always just go to the website, richvaldezamericatnight.com, and you can listen um, that way, right, right from your browser, right from your cell phone, right from wherever, without having to subscribe to anything for free. So that is um, totally available to you. When we return, Open Phone America with uh, Sandra, Gil, Paul, Allison, Tom, Dick, and Harry. All right. Low Mar- Low, Mo, Mo, Larry, and Curly is what I wanted to say. All right, folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Don't go anywhere. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. So Pramila Jayapal, she's under fire for these comments that she's made. Um, basically excusing rape the rape of Israeli girls by Hamas terrorists when she was on with Dana Bash on CNN. And again, this is a a, a bit of a protracted discussion. This is not a 30-second clip. There's a little bit of context here. And it's like time and again, and Dana Bash pushes up on her, uh, pushes back rather, and says, you know, hey, um, you know, specifically, how do you feel about the actions uh, against women? And she speaks in these broad generalities. And I mean, I think you and me both can agree, whether you agree with me or not on this program, you can agree on this statement that rape is always bad, right? I think we can all agree with that. If you disagree with that statement, then 
you move to the front of the list and we'll get you on immediately. But I want you to hear this exchange between uh, Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal on CNN yesterday with Dana Bash. I want to ask you about uh, sexual violence. And the, it's kind of remarkable that this issue hasn't gotten enough attention uh, globally. Widespread use of rape, uh, brutal rape, sexual violence against Israeli women by Hamas. Um, I've seen a lot of progressive women, generally speaking, they're quick to defend women's rights and speak out against using rape as a, as a weapon of war. But downright silent on what we saw on October 7th and what might be happening inside Gaza right now to these hostages. Why is that? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think we, we always talk about the impact of war on women in particular. In fact, I remember 20 years ago, I did a petition around the war in Iraq. Have you said, saying have that, you talked about it since oh, October absolutely. 7th? And I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women. the actions. Absolutely. The, the rape, the, of course. But I think we have to remember that Israel is a democracy. That is why they are a strong ally of ours. And if they do not comply with international humanitarian law, they are bringing themselves to a place that makes it much more difficult strategically for them yeah. to be able to build the kinds of allies to keep public opinion yeah. with them. And frankly, uh, morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes, three quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible, but you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, Well, Dana, I think women. we're not, we're not I, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppressions. Right. I think 15,000 people be. have been killed, it shouldn't Palestinians. Be. And it, which is horrible. 2.2 million Palestinians live in a 140 square mile area, mm -hmm. which is about the size of Las Vegas, with a population that is four times that of Las Vegas, and, and 1.8 million Palestinians right now are displaced. But, they I, are living in shelters. They are being told to move to South Gaza, then South Gaza is being bombed. Yeah. They're being told to move to North Gaza. There are no homes left. Yeah. The vast majority of infrastructure has been destroyed. This is not the way that we are going to beat terrorism, whether it's Hamas or some future iteration of Hamas. So now top uh, progressive Jayapal, she's getting beaten up now by the uh, House Democrats because they're saying she's downplaying the uh, Hamas rape accusations. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who used to be the chair of the DNC, Representative uh, Richie Torres from New York City. He's also blasting uh, Jayapal. And even the White House is distancing themselves, saying no comment. Listen to Corrine Jean-Pierre. And I get the White House's response to uh, Congresswoman Jayapal's comments over the weekend uh, in her interview. She said sexual violence should be condemned, but that we have to be balanced in our condemnation. Was that an appropriate comment? Look, so we've been very, very clear. Uh, you heard a little bit from, from Jake Sullivan about this. Um, I can only speak for, for the president. Uh, 
that's who I can speak for. And we've been clear what uh, Hamas did is absolutely reprehensible and full stop. We're going to continue to be clear about that. And we think about, um, you know, rape and the use of rape as being used as a as a weapon. Uh, that is also reprehensible. And that's full stop. And I'll just leave it there. And I'm speaking for the president of the United States. So I think I've been very clear on that. Any comment, though, I, I just Congresswoman Jaya, I just commented on it. I just laid out what we believe is unacceptable. Yeah. So nothing about the congresswoman. But Joe Biden thinks rape is bad. Thank God. Thank God he thinks rape is bad. Anyway, folks, I want to get to your calls on this. Uh, let me see here. Where do we go? We go here. Uh, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hi, great show as usual. Uh, I just want to say, if memory serves me correctly, uh, in Yugoslavia, when they broke up in the 90s, we heard nonstop about Serbian Christians raping Bosnian Muslims and having rape camps and horrible civilian atrocities. And the, the press kept it up. No two sides to that story. It was certainly only about the Serbs, and eventually we got involved and called in airstrikes and all sorts of things. But the point is, is that yet we, the left now, with the Hamas rapes, had to kind of be prodded and poked and prodded, and finally uh, some of them saying something. And I just feel like with the left, it they are racist. They are prejudiced. They don't care about evil. They care about who's doing the evil and who's the victim, and then they make their decision on who to support. You know, I think that's an interesting point. And, and ultimately, the left is self-serving, right? It's not about principles. It's not about this is right and this is wrong. It's about when this is right and when this is wrong, if it's politically expedient for them. And listen, uh, I, I get that we as people, we all make mistakes. And sometimes we might not be as um, as forthright as we want to be, as polite as we want to be. But when it comes to situations like this, and you're talking about rape and asking somebody to condemn rape and then saying, however, and making, you know, making it about both sides as if both sides are engaging in this. I think it's kind of crazy. Now, I'm sure uh, Hamas is as busy as they can be creating videos where, you know, there are women saying they were raped by Israeli soldiers. But I, I just don't believe it because they're not the aggressor here. They might be right now with the bombing, but they, they didn't look for this fight, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of you that think, you know, because there are Jewish settlers uh, that somehow that provoked this entire fight. Uh, anyway, the rest of your calls and more in the speed round. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-4. 
That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your calls from all over America, and in this case, Manila, the Philippines. Let's check in with our buddy Gil. Gil, what's up, man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Oh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, yes, sir. One quick comment about His Excellency Ambassador Rocha. Uh, they'll keep him on ice until they need to make another swap, like for a Brittany Griner. <laughs> he's seventies. <laughs> in his 70s. Well, I, that's the biggest value he has right now. But uh, the reason I called is I think you probably saw we had a terrorist bombing here over the weekend. Uh, people were killed by ISIS. They exploded a uh, explosive device during a Catholic mass in the southern part of the country. And uh, we have ISIS here. Uh, I actually came that close to getting it in the largest terror attack in the history of this country. Wow. Uh, they, uh, well, to make a very long story short, I was supposed to be on a boat called the Super Ferry 14 to go from Manila to the southern part of the country where I had some recruitment to do. But uh, the agency I work with said, you got to come here tomorrow. So they made me take a flight. And when I got to the uh, where I was going in Mindanao and the next morning turned on the TV, there was the ship that I was supposed to be on sunk in Manila Harbor. The terrorists had gotten a truck on board full of explosives and uh, blew the ship out of the water. And I think 120 people were killed. So I came wow. that close. And, I'm uh, glad you're good so, I'm, you know, and doing well. That, that, that's that's the, the stuff that happens. But... Um, as, as far as uh, what's going on here, uh, the local military is quite capable. They cleaned up ISIS here in uh, 2016, 2017, because Donald Trump ponied up all the munitions they needed to go in and clean out ISIS in the same city where they had this bombing over the weekend, a place called Marawi. And it's very, very interesting. I have close friends there, two Catholic sisters from the Sisters of Charity, Sister Linda and Sister Rose. Sister Rose is a physician. Sister yeah. Linda is a nurse. And they operate the, um, uh, the OBGYN clinic for all the Muslim women. And the Muslim, when they had this uh, uh, battle in Marawi, took very, very special care of these uh, two uh, Catholic nuns. So it, it's it's not always about religion. You know, religion is something you're born with. It's not something that you necessarily are fanatical about. Right. Gil, thank you for the call. i got to take a quick pause here to get into the speed round, but Godspeed to you. I hope uh, you have a great holiday if I don't speak to you again soon, and I'm glad you didn't get caught up in that terrorist attack. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. We continue with Open Phone America here on the Speed Round. And let us go to uh, Sandra. She's in Dothan, Alabama, WDBT. Go right ahead. Okay, I've got a question for you. My neighbor told me about this. It's a town uh, in Texas. It's called um, Colony. It's Mm -hmm. um, Colony Ridge, and it's outside of Houston. And supposedly... This developer is selling off plots of land to these illegals. He doesn't ask for any paperwork or anything, and there's supposedly cartel there. It's hard for me to believe this would be happening in Texas because of Abbott. So do you know anything about this? You know, I haven't heard anything about it. Uh, I did hear about, and I believe in that same area, of a rancher who owns a bunch of property down there and has a bunch of um, cartel people, smugglers, and um, border crossers all on top of his property at at any given time, like stashing people inside of his barn and other parts of the property where they could hide. That I've heard about, and I believe it's called Colony Ridge as well. I could be mistaken, but I I haven't heard of it. And if if illegal aliens are coming across uh, for a better life or to be a sleeper cell or to do whatever— and they're able to start buying um, property down at the border. Um, and kudos to them. They're doing better than me, right? I can't afford to buy anything down there. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if the rest of us can, but I could only imagine it's a, it's probably a hot commodity for those that are in the human trafficking business. Everybody probably wants a piece of the pie down there. So uh, I, I don't know that, that, that that's happening, but we'll definitely take a look at it, and I'll ask the guys in the control room to keep an eye out for that as well. Sandra in Dothan, Alabama, WDBT, thank you for the call. Uh, let's go to Paul, Boise, Idaho, listening online, Rich Valdez, America at Night. Paul, go right ahead. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. Yep. Yeah, as far as Jaya Paul is concerned, it's reprehensible. Uh, I can't think of another euphemism that would fit her other than that for right now, but, it, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you make those kind of comments and how can you walk them back? You know what yeah. I'm saying? How can you, how can you walk that back and expect somebody, especially a woman to vote you into office the next yeah. go around during the elections? How can you even think possibly that that would happen again? Now, I think it's also when you're talking about rape, right, Paul, for, I think you're talking about yeah. rape and, 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 and they're asking and, and Dana Bash is like double tripling down saying, but what about, you know, the, the violence against the women? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But we have to remember, right, and bringing it right back to the to the Israelis. And I think that was what really got people messed up, where they were like, you know, not only you're, you're not even really acknowledging it, you're kind of brushing it off so that you can continue to trash the Israelis and make it like, uh, you know, we have to condemn both sides when both sides aren't doing that. The, the whole question was about rape. And uh, I, I agree. It was absolutely uh, crazy and didn't she didn't do herself any favors. But it, it just goes to show you that there are people with biases in everything. 
no matter where you go, whether it was one of the first topics we talked about tonight was the doctors. Some doctors believe that you should take care of your family members in, in your home. Others think you should put them in a home. Others think you, you put them in a home, but you got to call your doctor friends to, to do them in really quick because we don't let our, our own medical people get sick uh, and, and suffer in, in nursing homes. And, you know, I mean, there's so many um, competing interests when you when you look at big decisions like that. And uh, the whole thing to me is just um, it, it's just a matter of perspective. And there's a lot of different perspectives out there. Uh, Paul in Boise, Idaho, I want to thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Um, Allison was on the line in Portland, Maine, I believe, but she's um, not on the line anymore. But a big shout out to everybody in her part of town. And I want to thank everybody for being with us tonight. Obviously, it, it's um, always great to be back on the air after a weekend and um, great to connect with you guys, the loyal listeners and callers of the program. Uh, another just plug and reminder about the podcast. Uh, this is America with Rich Valdez. If you're not subscribed to that, please do. Then, of course, there's the podcast of this program, which is um, available every day about half hour or an hour after we wrap up on the air at one o'clock Eastern time. Um, you can go ahead to the website, Rich Valdez, America at Night. That's Rich Valdez with an S at the end, americaatnight.com. And you will uh, be able to download the episode, stream it from, from right from the website. Uh, you could listen to it later. And you could always, of course, subscribe through one of the podcast apps so that you never miss notifications for each new show. So, folks, that's uh, the end of that plug. And uh, like always, I want to thank each and every one of you for being a, a part of the program tonight. The, um, the, uh, I had something I wanted to say and I'm drawing a blank on it. I guess I'll remind you about it tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. This is uh, another wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be with you guys and take care. Good night and God bless America. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it all again tomorrow, God willing. Until then, hasta la próxima. You stay right here on this station. Listen to what's going on. And I'm going to get some shut-eye. And uh, we'll do it again mañana. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.